This is Happiness Solved with America's Happiness Coach, Sandy Scarlatta. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I am so thrilled you're here. Happiness Solved is dedicated to giving you content that is empowering, motivational, inspirational, and of course, a dose of happiness. It's my way to give back to the world and share other people's stories. This thing called life can be challenging, and my guests share their amazing stories, wisdom, and life lessons that demonstrate anyone can choose happiness. You see, happiness is a journey, not a destination. I am Sandy Scarlatta, America's happiness coach, author of Happiness Solved. I'm also a retired U.S. national and international figure skating coach. I have a gold medal in ice dancing. I've been a certified life coach since 2004, and I've been inspiring others to shift their mindset and choose happiness for over 20 years. I am so excited to share that my next book is coming out soon. I am a co-author in the fastest growing personal development book series in the world with Jim Lutz and Jim Britt. The really cool thing is that the foreword was written by the one and only Les Brown, and for my copies, I'm on the cover with him. If you would like a free copy when it's available, email me at sandy at sandyscarlotta.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I am so grateful for you. Hello, John. How are you today? It's so great to see you. Ah, I'm doing great, Sandy. I'm super happy to be here. Appreciate being on your show. How are you doing today? I am doing great and Good. so much better now that we are having this conversation because <laughs> everything that you're doing, I was looking at your website, like you're, everything you're doing is, is in so much alignment to what, to what I do. And everybody has a story. And so I always like to start out because that's the main thing about my podcast is sharing people's stories and real mm -hmm. life stories, you know? So what is your story? How did you get to where you are today to, to get into this space that you're in right now? Yeah. Well, um, like a lot of people, it, it probably all began with pain and suffering. <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> why it takes that. We ask. <laughs> yeah, why is it that it has to be pain and suffering before people change? And so, I know. Um, yeah, me too. So, um, about 20 years ago, um, I think everything that could go wrong all went wrong at the same time. Uh, my wife got cancer completely out of left field, completely unexpected. She recovered, but they had to take her thyroid gland out. And so she has to take a pill every day for the rest of her life just to live. And, um, and so she started changing at that time. And we had two young children and she started reading books about God and the meaning of life and kind of went very, very inward, I think was kind of reassessing her life, which happens to a lot of people when they get cancer. Um, and then about that same time, I um, had left my very secure job and started my own company <laughs> in less than two years, lost, uh, got into, into debt to the tune of $650,000 and $250,000 personal wow. credit card debt. I borrowed against the house. I borrowed from anybody to give oh me money. Goodness. SBA oh loan. my goodness. And so, and I had great plans, um, getting my company off the ground in a big way. And boy, the sales sure increased. But for every dollar that was coming in, there was at least two or three or five dollars going out. And by the time I realized what I, the monster I created, it was really hard to slow it down. And so I was running around in fear every day of, oh, my God, we're going to go bankrupt. Oh, my God, I'm going to have to start all over again. Oh, my God, are we going to have to move and move the kids to a new school district? Meanwhile, my wife, like I said, had gone very kind of quiet and inward and she was changing. And then in the middle of it all, I don't know where this came from, 
had this terrifying fear of death. And I had not been uh, religious to that point. I was raised kind of a part-time Catholic when I was a kid, but wasn't really serious about it. And, um, and I couldn't get what I would call oblivion or forever out of my head. That's all I could think of is when you die, it's over forever. <laughs> it was terrifying to me. And I, I didn't know who to ask about this. I don't think I even would have anyway. I would have been embarrassed to talk about it. So what went, and then in the middle of it all, my wife says, I want a whole new life. You take the kids. You're the better parent. See you later. Goodbye. And in like 30 minutes and gone. So now I'm a single dad with kids, nine and 11, 650,000 in debt, a quarter million personal credit card debt, borrowed everything against the house. And I'm running around behind closed doors, terrified of death. And so that was the beginning of my journey. <clears throat> and um, if I, you know, keep going a little bit, I put myself in, I went to see a therapist, something I'd never done before. She put me in a group, something I'd never done before. Uh, I went to my first ever spiritual retreat, which was unbelievable, uh, big step for me. It was like the Nazi skinhead who suddenly decides he likes all his black neighbors. It's like for me oh to gosh. up and go to a spiritual retreat was like, oh my God. And, um, and little by little, um, what was happening, and it didn't make any sense at the time. You know, I think me, like so many people, when you're in the in the deep doo-doo, nothing makes sense. But later looking back, it all makes perfect sense. And so what was happening to me was what I would just loosely call, um, I was embracing my feminine side. I didn't see it happening at the time, but everything that most people would attribute it to feminine, I was learning and plunged into, even right down to having custody of my kids, which kind of gave me the opportunity to be both mom and dad to my kids most of the time. And, um, and then I also embraced and opened to a spiritual side of myself, which I didn't think existed. And I thought it was all just make-believe anyway. And, um, and so sometimes I think my book, instead of being called The Synchronicity of Love, it could be called Rigid Rational Male Transforms into Random Accidental Mystic. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Well, that's, that's very deep. And yeah. um yeah, and I'm so sorry that you went through all of that because that's that's I'm sure that there's so many people that can relate to the debt and yeah. the you know going through a divorce. I mean, there's so many many of us that have gone through that, myself included. Yeah. Um, and that right, even if even if it's like it's hard like for you because your wife, you know, she initiated it. In my situation, I initiated it. Mm -hmm. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, it's still a very difficult thing to do. And um, wow. So so now, fast forward, how many years now? Mm -hmm. And here you are. Now, you call yourself a mystic. Mm -hmm. Can you just explain what that means to those that do not know? Yeah, that's a great question. And it was literally another podcast where the, the, the host asked that question. And she's like, wow, that's not a mystic at all to me. So <laughs> I guess it's a term that can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. For me, it meant um, two things. I started getting messages primarily through dreams, but a lot of different ways in ways I never had before. And what some people might call uh, your guides or your angels or your higher self or God or any of those, 
I kept getting a lot of really helpful and interesting information. Um, and then the other part was um, two years into my journey. So this would be two years after I, everything fell apart and I went to that spiritual retreat. I had a full-on kundalini awakening. I didn't even know what the word meant. And my experience of it was an enormous amount of energy moving through my body, doing all sorts of strange things, completely out of my volitional control. And, and, and associated with unbelievable visions and experiences. And at the same time, I'm raising two kids, you know, I mean, sometimes I'd come home from work early and take a little nap and be in this profound experience and then the doorbell rings because the kids just got off the school bus. And, <laughs> and so um, sometimes, so mystic, I would say, I'm able to access information that's helpful in a way I never have before. My intuition was enhanced. Um, and at the same time, a whole lot of crazy, unexpected experiences were happening. They were both terrifying and yet exciting and enthralling at the same time. So what did you do with that at first? Did you think that you were losing your mind or did you, or were you aware of what was happening? Well, I wasn't at first and it, you know, crazy, um, it began, I've, I own my own company. I had to travel a lot for my company. So I had to travel probably 25 times a year. And um, so the whole Kundalini thing happened in a hotel room in Philadelphia of all places. So I had just appeared on QVC, that home shopping network. And I um, was happy I sold a fair amount of product, not nothing earth shattering, but I wasn't a failure either. And I was really happy that I didn't screw up live on TV and I had a hard time sleeping. And when I finally did fall asleep around midnight, I had what felt like orgasms in my root root chakra, like my perineum area. I didn't even know anything like this was possible. And it would overwhelm my body with what felt like bliss. And it was like, you know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs. And yet you wouldn't believe what was happening to me. And and then a few more minutes ago by and this, poof, this like whole body orgasm that started my perineum would happen again and again. And um, so, um, when I flew home the next day, I emailed some people I thought that would be more knowledgeable about this. And I said, well, it sounds like Kundalini, look it up. And I'm like, Kunda what? You know? And so I, I got some books and research and this went on for months, actually years, but probably was most prevalent the first six months. And I never did go crazy, but I was afraid that that was going to happen. I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to run my business. I was afraid I wasn't going to be a good dad. You know, I was coaching my kids' ball teams. I was coaching other little kids, you know, and that was always my fear. Like, oh my God, am I going to turn out to be some crazy person? Am I going to be kind of a wacko that loses his mind? It never happened. And um, so, and interestingly, I met some other people along the way that they had the same fear. It was actually beautiful and amazing. It was my own personal fear about the unknown that made it difficult. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Because when yeah. things like that start to happen, you don't know what it is. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, you're like, what's happening to me? Yeah. I wanted <laughs> Sandy, I wanted, I wanted to add on too. Um, you know, it's interesting. So you talked about your, your divorce, right? And that you initiated how painful that was. So in the book, uh, in my very first chapter, I talked about going to the spiritual retreat and I didn't have a lot of crazy spiritual experiences there, but I did have a lot of synchronicities. The strangest things started happening. Like, 
the as I'm as the plane is touching down to the you know the airport near the retreat, I realize the woman next to me is reading the book by the guy who's leading the retreat. And the only two people on the plane going to this retreat are me and her. Now, what are the chances? I counted 180 seats on that plane. What are the chances I'm sitting next to the only other person, you know? And we checked each other out to make sure, you know, you look normal. You look normal too. Okay, I guess this is going to be okay. And then I get to the retreat and my roommate is essentially, um, he he's the one, oh, how can I describe it? So he's the one that like right at the gate said, John, I guarantee your wife's in pain too. She left, mm-hmm. but you're, you're like kind of playing the victim here. Like, Oh my God, look what happened to me. Look at this burden I have to carry. She got to run off and have a whole new life. He goes, I guarantee you she's in pain too. And cause he'd been involved in that before when he was younger. And so what happened to the retreat wasn't that I had a lot of crazy spiritual experiences. It was probably the beginning of me really understanding compassion for the first time. And I was like, okay, I get it. We're both in pain. <laughs> and so it wasn't easy, but at the same time, it, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to be pissed about it anymore. Mm-hmm. And that did a favor, not only for yourself, most importantly, but for your children. Yeah, yeah you're right. Actually, you're exactly right. I didn't drag my children into it. So that That's was right. really a lucky synchronicity. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so let's talk about synchronicities because yeah. a lot of people will be like, oh, that's just a coincidence. I know yeah. I don't believe in coincidences. It yeah. doesn't sound like you do either. <laughs> so what would you say to somebody that's like, that's just a, that's just a coincidence that you guys uh, what I would say is, to each other in the play? <laughs> what I would say is I used to be that person too. But when it happens again and again and again, and I have a really good math mind, uh, not that I'm like a PhD in mathematics, but I own my own business. And, and uh, I easily could have been a CFO or an accountant kind of person. And plus, when I was young, I loved to gamble at the racetrack. So I, I know about odds. I know about chances, you know. And you know, if it happens once, eh, maybe a coincidence. But when it happens again and again and again and again, you start to go, you know, I think there's something going on here more than just mere coincidence. And the other is, um, I have a lot of stories in the book um, that are true stories that are not just mere coincidences. There are what most people would just flat out call miracles. And, you know, probably everybody has at least one miracle in their life. But when it starts to happen again and again and again, there's this sense of like, hmm, I think I'm on to something here. And I, I don't think it's um, for some people, not everybody, it's not all that unusual. That is their life. You know, some people call it flow. Uh, things just come to them easier. Some people say, well, you know, I'm just, you know, manifesting's easy for me. I think from my point of view, it's probably more like, um, I, the ego, John, my personality am more in alignment with my soul and what it wants. And when that happens, a lot of what, People call coincidences, miracles, synchronicity, serendipity. It starts to happen more and more and more. And so, um, yeah, that all you rigid, rational people out there think it's coincidence. You know, there's only so many coincidences that can happen before you start to scratch your head going, you know, hmm, that's a once in a lifetime event. And that's just happened five times to me in the last month. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. I also feel like with some people, because I'm married to one, Mm-hmm. They kind of had their have their blinders on, and they're not open, yeah, to seeing it. And so yeah. for me, when I was first introduced to miracles, which is 
that's the term that I choose to use. And I love right. synchronicity. Yeah, I, that's yeah. another great, great <clears throat> word. For me, it was because I didn't believe there was such a thing as miracles. Yeah. And, and I was told, just trust. Yeah. Just trust God, the universe, whatever you call it, and one will be shown to you. And it was shown to me in a very, very profound way back in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, because I'm now open to receiving those miracles and the synchronicities and the serendipities of, of, that, that happen all the time, you will find them in very little tiny ways that you may not have even, most people would just gloss it over and be like, you know, not even pay attention to it. Yeah. But once you open your mind up, I find that almost every single day, there's some little miracle taking place right in front of me. It happens all the time. Yeah. If you're I, open to it. Yeah. That's actually been my experience too, Sandy. And it kind of bumps me out a little bit because I, you know, they're mostly little things. They're not all big miraculous things. Yeah, um, exactly. But they're, I don't know if they used to happen before and I just didn't notice it or I'm just kind of in the zone now and now it's happening more, but it's getting so kind of commonplace is the right word, but definitely more common than it was before that I'm kind of used to it now. It doesn't seem so miraculous every day. And I bet I kind of miss that, you know? Um, so I have to be aware that I'm, I'm, um, you might say I'm taking the synchronicities for granted. It's really funny. Well, yeah. And and we all do that. I mean, let's yeah. face it. We all have busy lives and you get busy yeah. and you, you don't. Yeah. And, and it may be like the next day you reflect back and be like, oh my gosh, I didn't even recognize that when it happened. It's just for me, when these miracles and synchronicities appear to us, it's so invaluable. Yeah. Because what it does is it reminds you of why we're here and it reminds you to keep on your path, right? It's like these little nuggets that are put in front of you that say, you're doing the right thing. Yeah. You're on the right path. Keep going. Like that's what it does for me. I don't know what your experience is. Well, I find it very validating, encouraging. I, I love it. Um, I definitely think it feels like you're on the right path. Um, it's interesting. I heard somebody else describe it like, because I heard you use that word trust earlier. And that's been a huge part of my journey because I think, you know, I'm going to stereotype a little bit here, like a lot of guys, you know, it's like, ah, screw it. I can do it myself, you know, and trust the universe. What the hell does that mean? Trust God. Oh, come on. You know, who's how reliable is that? So a big part of my journey has been around a trust, like the way you describe it, and that opening. And, um, and darn, I completely forgot what I was going to say about that. Um, but um, yeah, it's um, life is immeasurably richer because of, oh, I know what I was going to say. I heard somebody else say, um, if nothing else, you know, not only does it kind of show you that you're on the right path, but it also means your relationship with the universe is more trusting, is more open. And the more you do that, the more you realize, uh, I think it's just a choice. Um, You can say the universe is a horrible, neglectful place of scarcity, or it's an abundance, full of abundance and wonderful support. And they're both equally serviceable. And I think a lot of people just create their own 
self-imposed limitations. And so that's what it feels like. It's, you know, um, again, I, for all you rigid rational listeners out there, I hear you, I used to be you, but there is a different way to perceive life. And when you perceive it and live it and appreciate it different, things are just different. You, you're different and then suddenly life is different. Yeah, that's a great way to, to describe yeah. it. So let's talk about your book, The Synchronicity yeah. of Love, Stories mm -hmm. That Heal, Transform, and Awaken. I love that title. Oh, thank so, you very much. So give us the cliff notes of your book. Yeah, so um, that spiritual retreat that I went to, um, the leader caught really... Uh, I was very popular in the 70s and 80s, and I was surprised he was still alive. I'd been reading about him in Michael Crichton's book, Travels. What's and a lot name? of people, Michael Crichton, the author. Is that uh, whose retreat you went to? And his name was Brew Joy. Um, and so Brew, okay. yeah, Brew was the leader of the retreat, a very eminent uh, physician in Southern California. He was a part of the Medical Scholastic Society, the top 1% of all medical students in the nation, super brilliant. And he went through his own sort of shocking awakening at the age of 35 and walked away from his practice, traveled around the world for nine months and came back and was a spiritual teacher for the rest of his life. And so his book was a New York Times bestseller, I think in 1979 or 74, somewhere around there. And um, anyway, very popular teacher, especially with other physicians, psychiatrists, uh, people like that. And um, so I went to the retreat um, because I kept reading that Michael Crichton had went when he went through a difficult time in his life. And Michael, like me, when he was young, was very intelligent, very rational, and just thought it was all mumbo jumbo too, until he went through his own sort of, it's the craziest thing, at the age of 30, he'd achieved every goal he wanted in his entire life. And he'd achieved more by the age of 30 than most people do in 10 lifetimes. So he suddenly didn't know what he was going to do for the rest of his life. Wow. So, um, Anyway, so he went to the retreat. I read about the story in his book, Travels. I went to that same retreat 20 years later, and Brew pretty much just taught the same thing, heart-centered meditation and uh, shadow work. And he kept coming back to the heart center. Can you see the world through unconditional love and compassion? Can you perceive and experience it that way? And it's a whole different way of perceiving than perceiving through the ego or the personality. And so that's how I came up with the title of Synchronicity of Love. It felt like the further I let myself go into love, which feels like compassion, which feels like trust, which feels like acceptance, the more and more of these synchronistic experiences started to happen to me. And um, so I take a lot of things in the book, uh, including death, you know, which was terrifying to me. And like, what if, and it sounds so cliche, um, what if, you faced your fears, but not only just faced them, but actually embraced them. And so there's a lot of things that look like scary dreams that I turn into really love stories. There's me facing and embracing my fear of death and watching it transform in just unbelievable ways. And um, one of the things that happened is about a year after the treat, I started purposely trying to remember my dreams, write them down. I didn't think I was a dreamer, but once I encouraged the process, I had a lot of dreams coming through. And I was staggered at the wide variety of dreams. In fact, one of the last chapters in the book, I call the, the, the spectrum of dreams, that 
there's a whole wide variety. There's a whole world in the dream world. And it's more than just a bunch of gibberish because you ate too much pizza that night, you know, and it's actually really amazing. And so, um, and then I mentioned uh, two years into the journey, the Kundalini opened and that was a wild ride for quite a period of time. And so I think you could say it's 119 true stories um, and some of them very real stories. I, I share stories about, you know, getting divorced and uh, my daughter for a period of time uh, went from being a really good girl to a really bad girl for a while. And I kind of chronicle that journey as well. So because while I was going through this um, journey, you might say, into being a mystic, I was still a dad with real problems, <laughs> real issues out there. <laughs> And real shit to confront. And, uh, yeah. and so, yeah, so um, it's not all mystical dreams. Um, some of it is. It's um, me trying to be as real as possible about what happened and what I was going through. I love it. Yeah. So if there was one thing that you could tell the listeners a piece of advice that's in the book, what would that be? Um, I'm going to come back to what you talked about in the beginning, um, that opening. You know, I think almost everybody that we get, okay, I'm going to speak generally, um, we can kind of all get set in our ways and set in our life views, set in the way we view our life, the way we view others, the way we view politics, the way we view God, you know, anything. And, um, and there's a certain amount of comfort in that. There's no doubt about it. It's like, yep, this is who I am. This is what I believe in. The end. But uh, life can start to dry up when you kind of box yourself in in that way. So I'm going to come back to what you said at the beginning about opening, just opening. And there's a quote I love from Rilke in part that goes, some evening, take a step out of your house, which you know so well, enormous space is near. And so the house you know so well could be your beliefs, the way you see the world. You know, it's almost like I, I try to describe it as, I built brick walls around myself and I feel safe inside those brick walls. But I think when you get older, there's opportunities to start to tear those walls down a little bit and uh, life can become more enchanting, enriching. If you tear down some of those walls and go, you know, I think there's gotta be more to life than I think there is. <laughs> and uh, it's actually amazing what's, what's out there and what's available. Mm, ditto, yes. Yeah. So your website is John David Lada. Yeah. I will make sure that is in the show notes and you can buy your book, The Synchronicity of Love on Amazon. That's correct. Yeah. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience before we close up our, our talk? Um, well, I'll tell you real quickly. Um, so Michael Crichton's book Travels was the one that completely transformed my life. And I read it for a long time. And Michael also went through a difficult time. And he embraced traveling around the world and exploring all the things he thought he knew about but never actually had experienced himself. And so the book was, I'm not going to just read about it. I'm going to go experience it for myself and decide what I think of it. And that included a lot of spiritual experiences. And I like the way he wrote his book. It's a whole bunch of short, true stories. And so that's why I wrote the book the way I did. It's 119 short stories. A lot of them are only one to three pages long. It's the kind of book I like to read if I go to bedtime. I can just randomly open up to a chapter. You can read it chronologically, or you can just randomly yep. read into it. And um, and I, I think books, especially true stories, I wrote it all in first person as if it was present tense. 
So even though the story might have taken place 10 years ago, I try to write it so that the reader is living it. It's almost like mm -hmm. I'm John and I'm living it. And um, there's a word that I love. Some stories and some books uh, can be very inductive. And if you really let yourself fall into the stories of my book, as well as other people's stories, from a, I want to experience exactly what John just experienced. It's amazing what you can learn from what I would call an inductive book or an inductive experience. And mm -hmm. so that's, uh, not a lot of people talk about that, but it's true. Every book carries an energy. And if you kind of let yourself connect to it, it's really sometimes far more amazing than just the words. For sure. For sure. And I love books that are written that way that you can yeah. just, you know, and I encourage the listeners, get his book and just every day, just open it up and see what pops out at you, because I promise you, you are meant to read that story at that particular moment. And I love uh, that. Love thank you, that. Sandy. Yeah. 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 I'm one John, of those people that likes to immerse themselves in movies, too. I think the immersion is really uh, important. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's all so good. So thank you so much for joining us today. Again, you can reach out to John at his website, johndavidlotta.com and his book, The Synchronous Synchronicity of Love is on Amazon. So thank you so much, John. I really, really honor and I'm so grateful for this time with you. Oh, thank you again for the invitation. I love being here with you, Sandy. Thank you. I certainly hope that you enjoyed today's interview. Thank you so much for joining me. And as always, I hope that you and your family are healthy and safe and that your lives are filled with peace, joy, and happiness. Take care, everyone.